Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 192 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracles. And today is just going to be ripped right from the headlines. Oh yeah, it's another good week, as always. Stuff just takes over, and you're like, this is all I'm going to hear. It's all I'm going to read. It's all I'm going to see images of. And I think that that means what I always think when something is in the news and you're bombarded. I'm like, there's a lot of people who are seeing this but don't know the whole story and maybe don't know some resources or hear, you know, some movies to check out to help. So that's what we're going to do today. You bet. It's what we try to do here at the show. And this week is just like every other one. Yeah. So the Supreme Court, you probably saw, has voted to strike down the landmark Roe versus Wade decision according to an initial draft majority opinion, which was written by Justice Samuel Alito. And it circulated inside the court and it was obtained by Politico. So this draft opinion is a full-throated, unflinching repudiation of the 1973 decision which guaranteed federal constitutional protections of abortion rights and a subsequent 1992 decision that was Planned Parenthood versus Casey that largely maintained the right. Alito writes um, that Roe was egregiously wrong from the start and that we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled He wrote in the document that this was the opinion of the court and that it was time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. So this is what people um, are either excited about or upset about. So let's kind of get into the whole background of Roe versus Wade. Let's do it. So this was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose and to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. The case uh, began in 1970 when Jane Roe, which is a fictional name which was used to protect the identity of the plaintiff, but that was Norma McCorvey, and they instituted federal action against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where Roe resided. So she challenged the criminal abortion laws in Texas. The state forbade abortion as unconstitutional, except in cases where the mother's life was in danger. So Miss McCorvey, she was pregnant with her third child when she filed the case, and she claimed that she had been raped. But the case was rejected, and she was forced to give birth. In 1973, her appeal made it to the U.S. Supreme Court, where her case was heard alongside that of a 20-year-old Georgia woman, Sandra Bensing. So they had two people at this time. So they argued that the abortion laws in Texas and Georgia went against the U.S. Constitution because they infringed a woman's right to privacy. And then by a vote of seven to two, the court justices ruled that governments lacked the power to prohibit abortions. They judged that a woman's right to terminate her pregnancy was protected by the U.S. Constitution. So this is the case that is up that this could, you know, end up going in reverse and making um, possibly a more, a more dangerous situation. Something I found that is fascinating, super interesting. So later in her life, that McCorvey, mm-hmm. she became an evangelical Protestant, oh. and in her remaining years, a Roman Catholic, and took part in the anti-abortion movement. Mm. So. 
She stated that her then involvement in the Roe case was the biggest mistake of her life. So this was like a big win for, you know, anti-choice people. But get this. During an interview shortly before her death, which she referred to as her deathbed confession, she said that she had been paid to speak against abortion and added that she continued to have abortion rights beliefs. Oh, Isn't that nice. wild? I mean, but did it happen? Did she change her mind? Did she change it back? Was there pressure? I find that really fascinating, but it just shows like... This is such a it's such a, an issue, such a hot button issue. Oh, it's a contentious issue for sure. This has been like one of the big animating factors in American politics ever since Roe versus Wade came out. True, the uh, top fun, fundraising, a uh, big fundraiser for on um, the parties and such too. So yeah, and at this moment when Roe versus Wade is under direct challenge, you know, Jacob and I were thinking of some of the most inspired examples of the way that filmmakers around the world have explored the reality of abortion in women's lives. So you may not know this, but the Hayes Code, or the Motion Picture Production Code, which was originally published in 1930, enforced in films dating from 1934 and then amended later in the 50s, set strict limits on storytelling involving abortions. It's not shocking. No, it's not surprising at all. No. The parameters of the code, which also regulated depictions of murder, adultery, um, the appearance of alcohol in films, led to characters who had abortions but would always have um, unhappy endings, whereas characters who considered getting abortions and then decided against it had more positive outcomes. So that was kind of how that started in film. Um, But then the proliferation of television programming in the 1960s brought legal dramas and soap operas with abortion storylines, while then in the 1970s and the 1980s, we saw more of a professional perspective on abortion. So you see a lot of stories about doctors making a decision about whether or not to provide an abortion or stories about, I don't know, like lawyers who are discussing access from like a legal perspective. Um, And a lot of times back then, the story of the woman actually getting the abortion is kind of like the subplot. So no one was like... It's always a B plot. No one was leading with it, correct. But it has been 49 years, 50 years, I don't even know, since that two-part Maud's Dilemma episode. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm sure you've heard about it. That was written by Susan Harris, the show Maud. She later wrote Golden Girls and Soap. Yeah. So that episode premiered in the choice face by B. Arthur's title character, you know, because she found herself pregnant at 47. Um, And the determination of the show was to discuss that choice in depth and engage in a nuanced debate. And it would be, I mean, it was extremely provocative in an American sitcom. Yeah. I mean, then and almost even, even now. It, it was. It still will be a big. It'd be like a one of those special issues, like they do in the '80s, where there was like they would have the episode, and then at the end there would be four minutes where they're yes. just talking directly. And they'd to the have camera. to like almost warn you, like this is what we're going to talk about. Now we're seeing much more focused on women's experience, um, much more of a focus on telling different types of stories for different types of women. So there's a greater range of characters getting abortions in shows across a greater range of genres, I would say. Yeah, like we even get a few, there's even some comedies nowadays that they can put out with that topic, so, like about abortion, so. Absolutely, like rare, but happening. So Mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about some films, but because honestly, 
it is still kind of rare to find TV shows dealing with oh, I, I couldn't actual find, I, abortions. I, I was able to find like episodes of TV shows where mm-hmm. it would come up and be in the background, but there was never like it was never the central theme. I feel like that Shondaland, like Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, are kind of like the first oh. big shows that really have changed the script on the topic. She's definitely one of the ones who puts that into her shows. Like I feel like it's been in more than one, not just her current ones. I can't remember what like her first big show was, but it did come up in uh yeah. On like episodes shows that have taken, um, you know, dealt with it. So, and I think that whereas we said that like, an abortion might have singularly defined a female character in the past, mm-hmm. like that is all that she was. It's become part of a broader story arc for a character, and it's one small part of who that character is and what they do. Yeah, it's no longer just this is what the person is. This is the abortion girl or something like they don't exactly. Hand, they it's don't just like it this anymore. is a part of life is what <clears throat> they're kind of bringing in. Yeah, what, what was the old trope to depressed in the room, hugging a pillow or something and crying is like what, the way they would usually depict it. In. Exactly. Or being really punished for it. So, I mean, there's generally, I'd say, greater artistic license on the big screen. Mm hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a little different for filmmakers around the world. But so today we have films that explore reproductive choice as a crucial aspect of women's lives. Um, and, you know, whether they're downbeat or melodramatic or maybe tinged with comedy, these movies, intelligent and sensitivity deepen our understanding of women's experience. Um, so, yeah, I feel that everyone can kind of listen to this and we're just kind of talk about the films. We'll talk about some facts at the end. And we just hope that everyone walks away with a clear understanding of at least what is being discussed. Exactly. Give, give a better idea, you know, to so broaden your mind, like get some more perspective and views on stuff. And we, we just love that. It's what we do. It's what we do. We're all about the, letting people get more information and making decisions on their own. Like, we're, we're a sphere, Jacob. We're trying to have people see <laughs> the whole circle because it's hard to see the other side of the sphere when you're on the one side. That's right. It's dark over there. I am Dustin Hoffman and <laughs> Michelle is Sharon Stone and we are just doing stuff under the water today, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. What is that I a know, reference I, that's, to? That's a Michael Crichton reference. I'm, I'm digging deep for him. What movie? Is that like Anaconda? No, it's Sphere. Literally the oh, movie Sphere. <laughs> I don't even know that that was a movie. Do not worry. You're fine. <laughs> it's always good to, to have Jacob here. Um, so I'm going to start with a film that we have talked about a lot because we actually interviewed the star of the movie. Yes, we did. On the show, Sydney Flanagan. Go and check out the old episode in the archives, everybody. Absolutely. She was a doll. But the film is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. This came out in 2020. And it is a really transfixing account of a small-town teenager. She's dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. Um, and this is directed by Eliza Hitman. And her drama offers a really candid and clear-eyed contemplation of abortion as a choice, which is arrived at not with, like, the hand wringing and screaming and crying, but with a sobering kind of pragmatism. So we have Autumn, played by Sydney Flanagan, and Skylar, Talia Ryder. And her stead, that's her steadfast cousin. Okay. And they embark on an unsettling odyssey from Pennsylvania to New York where Autumn can end her pregnancy without parental consent. Um, it's, it's hard because there's like a really awful solitude of her predicament, but it's kind of countered by the warmth of the girl's relationship and their closeness. But it's, it's a raw and haunting and painfully real film. Um, and, you know, it's not while that's kind of the central issue of the film, I think it's better defined as a moving snapshot of female female friendship and bravery 
I think the more than just the procedure. But I think it's also important because in the film, they show um, those crisis pregnancy centers mm-hmm. in her hometown, which I think people really don't know about, which is really, really interesting. So she goes there because she's like, oh, it's a crisis pregnancy center. And they give her an ultrasound. But they send her home with pamphlets about adoption. They don't explain that abortion is an option at all. And then she later learns that they misled her about how far along her pregnancy was. And these centers, you might read about them alongside with what's going on in the news, they're really controversial because they're federally financed. They're not medically licensed in any regard. People go in there for medical advice, and then they leave being told that, you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. There are no other options for you. So, you know, that's a. I think that that was important that that was brought up in the film as well. Yeah, you, you kind of assume that it's just there's only like two options that everybody tries to help you out in that situation and even including the government sometimes. And it's not always the case. They kind of it's there, but they're always like there's other things you could do. I mean, it's definitely mark. it's confusing. It is. There's a lot of conflicting information. All these years we're there. talking about it, and somehow it is still confusing, which is wild. Do you have something for us? I mean, yeah, yeah. We do have a movie choice. Um, another one who was a good movie, um, praised at the time, a little controversial now because of some of the subject matter in there. Okay. 2007's Juno, the comedy that shot uh, Elliot Page to stardom. Loved got, that movie. God, um, I don't remember if that was his first or second Academy Award nomination. I feel like it was the first. I think so. I don't know if she if uh, he got one for Hard Candy as well, but he might have. And in case you don't know, um, the star was um, the dead name for Elliot Page is Ellen Page. Yes, because he transitioned. Yeah, so this is pre-transition, uh, first coming onto the scene. Um, so it's actually an Academy Award-winning movie. Uh, it was up for Best Picture. Uh, Elliot was up for Best a- um, Actress. And uh, Diablo Cody actually won the Oscar for Best uh, Screenplay in this one. Yeah. So she gets uh, pregnant with her by her friend uh, Michael Sarah, who um, is in peak Michael Sarah form. He is. He's movie. adorable. He is movie. almost. You can smell the frozen bananas <laughs> on him as he is going through this. Um, so it's a story. She decides that she's going to have the baby uh, after a discussion with her parents. They kind of gloss over the idea of abortion, which I think is one of the issues that people have with this movie. It's kind of like a one line, no, not even considered an option. But but. I think that's really realistic. Like she goes to an abortion clinic and then she's like, you know what? That's not for me. Yeah. I mean, it happens if it's personal choice, if that's your decision, whatever you want to do, man. Hey, choose Um, it up. But yeah, so then the story goes about what she has to deal with, like being a pregnant teenager in a small town. Everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows all your details, but they're not actually going to come forward and talk to you about it. They're just kind of like snickering behind the scenes there, Mm -hmm. just kind of giving you those looks. So you're actually seeing what it is like to be like pregnant in that situation and not having any kind of ways out of it like you, you all the abuse and like the judgments you're going to get dealt with against you easier for her though because she has like the greatest dad in the world jk right. simmons is like a gem <laughs> yeah she gets really lucky in this because you know like you said she has the awesome uh jk simmons and um alice and janney are the the parents so they're oh that's right supporting. she's her stepmom oh my gosh and really well cast movie like the out of no like the angel investor quote-unquote of the parents who right away want to adopt the kid and take care of all the fees and stuff yeah so talk about getting real lucky in that regard with uh jennifer garner and jason bateman in this movie Mm -hmm. um but it's a very good movie about like perspective of teenage pregnancy that you don't really think about when you know having the kid it um it's a thing that it's nice it's very good like if you want to have the child by all means do it but 
some people kind of gloss over what it's like to be pregnant in that for that time span and just like the emotional things you have to deal with. It's not like MTV's teen pregnant teen mom shows that they have around. Oh gosh, there, no. Which you should probably also watch. If I should not watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just it's something you don't actually think about because people they're like, okay, you know, make sure you have the kid, and then it's like, well, you're not going to mention you're going to have nine months of like constant shaming <laughs> by a lot of people. And and heartburn, and, but yeah, that I mean Juno is like definitely more of a comedy, so it's, it's definitely they don't like it's lighthearted. They don't yeah. really they dive into it in a couple times, but they it's kind of surface level. But. I missed Juno. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, I, saw I think recently. I need it's, to revisit. It's better than I remember. I still had problems with it, but it's better better than I remember it being. All right, check out Juno. Okay, so the film I want to talk about is Grandma from 2015. Oh, I had that one on my list too. Actually, oh, that's it's a great film. Did you see it? Ah, uh, no, I did not. Okay, so in Paul White's, this is small scale but consistently funny and poignant comedy drama because we have Lily Tomlin. She's in her glorious element here as an ill-tempered lesbian who's out on an all-day odyssey across Los Angeles to raise $600 um, that her granddaughter, who's played by Julia Garner, is having a real shine moment. Ozark just dropped uh, last week, so she's a big person in the moment. Um, But they need the money because she needs an abortion without her mother finding out. So the termination of the pregnancy is really the engine that's driving the plot. Um, but I'd say that this step, it's really treated with the gravity it warrants in a story that's also about the many imperfect paths of motherhood. So naturally, the two face many roadblocks beyond even the significant cost of the procedure. Primarily, it's in the form of anti-abortion stigma as um, Elle's, so that's Lily Tomlin's, ex-husband is initially willing to give Elle the money until he learns what it's for. So it's really an understanding of abortion as a regrettable but necessary option in many young women's lives. And the film avoids the overly self-congratulatory or in-your-face stance of some other films. And it opts instead for just like an admirable a frankness, an intelligence, and a sensitivity. Um, it differs from other more recent abortion road trip films like the one we already discussed um, which are set in more rural states mm-hmm. um, or states with more restrictions on abortions which requires them they have to travel out of state and grandma it's this California grandma granddaughter so they have all of this access um, and they don't have these parental consent laws or anything like that their primary struggle is that they're broke yeah which is another underrated part of the whole situation it sure is and the only people that can help them oppose abortion but I mean I don't know how you can't love those two actresses together are really wonderful um, it's a it's definitely a cute film I definitely feel like Lily Tomlin is one of those actresses people kind of forgot 30 years ago until I, grace and frankie came out and now i think oh, she's a big star again the 29 years grace and frankie has been on netflix or whatever i know it's done or, really well i think they're on like seven season it's, it's, seven it's, 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 it's the last season and yeah. i can't believe it's their longest running show i can't believe it's been on that long i've never seen a single episode but i hear great things it's cute i didn't i haven't i'm not caught up i watched like the first season and a half and then i was you know it's hard there's a lot am, of content out there I, i'm doing my intense tv <laughs> shows i am like in the middle of season two of the leftovers so i am I am having all kinds of feelings watching that show, let me tell you. Okay. You haven't checked it out? Another good one to look at. Everybody. But you know what's another good movie that's got some abortion information in there? We're going to the 80s here with Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wow, really? The ni- Oh, yeah, the 1982 I don't movie even classic. remember. Oh, it's a, it's a surprisingly big part tell of the latter everything. stages movie. So 
It's a teen comedy about kids in high school written by Cameron Crowe. It is excellent if you haven't seen it to this time. That'd be you wild really if should. you haven't. Um, everybody from Nick Cage, who, you know, friend of the show, <laughs> to Forrest Whitaker is in this movie in some kind of role. So there's some big name stars in this one. But the part that we're actually talking about uh, involves uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, who plays Stacy in the movie, and Robert Romanus, who plays Mike Damone. Okay. So they're just two high school kids. They meet, they know each other through friends. She's kind of dating one of his friends. But in typical high school fashion, you know, stuff happens. They end up hooking up in the pool room at her house and for like two seconds. That's a whole other problem for that Mike Damone dude. Pool room. So cool. Yeah. She, oh, yeah. It's really romantic. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so she ends up getting pregnant off of that. And she goes to tell him and they agree. They kind of agree. You know, he's kind of being the jerky guy. Like, yeah. you know, it's all your fault. Blah, 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 blah. So they decide we're going to have an abortion in this one. She goes to him and she's like, hey, man, if, uh, we're all cool here. All you have to do is give me a ride to the abortion clinic and we're good. Mm -hmm. So of a typical awesome dude fashion, he kind of ghosts her and then <laughs> kind of just ignores her and acts like nothing's happening. Oh, yikes. So now she's dealing with a situation that she would be perfectly fine dealing with, except that the guy that's involved is kind of being a jerk about the whole thing and refusing to help her, refusing to even acknowledge that he's got part of it. So you get another view of it where this is something that a lot of like young girls have to deal with because yeah, struggle is real. It's horrible, but like I know as a guy that like as a guy that age, if you did hook up with a girl, you would think they'd be like, oh, all about like, hey man, I'm so I'm happy about this. But sometimes guys will just straight up lie about it, like in the moment they want to do, it, and then they're just like, hey. I don't want to have people like looking at me in a certain way, or I don't want to deal with. I mean, people in general, hot take, they lie. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. I mean, the Stacy story in that movie is really interesting to begin with. I don't with. know how and I don't like remember. It's been so long since I've seen the movie. Is it a main part of the film, or is it just like a, a background pretty, story? It's a pretty big part okay. in the second half of the movie. Like her, like a uh, whole, like coming into maturity and stuff. That's a whole, her whole plot line in that movie is about like hooking up and stuff like that. But it's okay. interesting the way that they deal with it and the people that she's going to for advice. But the um, the way also that people look at Mike once they find out that he's like the guy behind it, it's very, it's kind of uplifting the way that everybody kind of pushes him to the side and he becomes like a pariah kind of. Okay. So everybody's like, you're being a jerk. It's your fault. Everybody knows it's your fault, yet you're still denying it and you're not trying to help. So Smart high schoolers. It's not always... Like the picture perfect, like, okay, um, I got pregnant, it's fine, We're, I'm just going to do this. And yeah, the guy who did it's going to be a cool dude. It's a nice kind of gray view of the whole situation where there's no judgment on the girl or anything, but it does point out that maybe it's not always about the girl, that sometimes the guys are not the coolest people in this scenario either. So You heard it here first from I mean, a guy, everyone. A guy's not cool um, in that situation. Go there's figure. a couple movies I really want to get into. Do you mind if I just steal? No, by all means, okay. man. Bang through it. So... I want to talk about the film St. Francis. This is pretty recently released. This is like a dramedy um, that treats abortion and the complexities of motherhood and womanhood more broadly um, and with compassion and without stigma. So St. Francis, it isn't just a story about abortion. It's about Bridget's bond with a six-year-old girl that she starts nannying around the same time that she terminates her pregnancy. So writer Kelly O'Sullivan, who plays Bridget in the film, based the story partly on her own experience of having an abortion in the early in her early 30s. 
And she said that as I was going through that process, which was very simple and it was not very scary, I realized that I had been miseducated about abortion through TV and film growing up in my young adulthood. So she wanted to write a story where it's a non-traumatic depiction of abortion. It's ordinary and light and sometimes funny, and it's very realistic in its portrayal. So we talked about how how much film has changed dealing with that issue Mm -hmm. from like the (laughs) 1930s to now, where it's like, oh, it's not, I'm okay. Yeah, it's (laughs) like, it's fine. No no problem. No issues at all. We're going to talk about big issues here, though. Let's go to 1987 to... Dirty Dancing. Oh, there you go, man. That, that You want to talk about a movie where a plot line comes out of nowhere. Oh, it really does come out of nowhere. I remember. I still remember when I was a teenager when I first saw Dirty Dancing, and like that plot line happens. I'm like, wait, what's going on? It's just like, out of left field. Oh, okay. So the, they, they cut it out of like the Fox version. Like you watch this movie on Fox. It's oh, supp- I feel like there would be a confusing film, though, because it does like tie some things together. Together? It's 20 minutes shorter, and there's a it gets real confusing in the middle. Right. A lot of jumping. Why is he mad at baby? Um, so, I mean, I'd say Dirty Dancing's cultural legacy is obviously very strongly associated with Johnny and Baby's sizzling chemistry mm-hmm. and sweet dance moves. Patrick, 80s Patrick Swayze. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But at the heart of this script is a clear and unapologetic argument for reproductive choice. So it's set in the 1960s, and we see um, this working class girl named Penny. And it's a really harrowing scene because she's left in immense pain after a botched back alley abortion. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's pretty gruesome, man. Like, yeah, the friend who's recalling it, and he's like, oh, the guy had a dirty knife and a folding table. I could hear her screaming. I mean, it's really, really awful. But notably, however, Penny's choice to abort in the first place that is never questioned, and not even by Baby's strict father, who's a doctor who helps to heal Penny afterwards. Rather, I'd say the film lays the blame for her or- ordeal on the economic and legal barriers that kept Penny from a safer procedure. Mm-hmm. So in doing so, Dirty Dancing really stands as a stark testament of what was gained with Roe versus Wade and what we could possibly stand to lose if those rights are taken away. And it's also nice to see the portrayal of the doctor as well, who is kind of like a hard guy, like the entire movie, kind of a jerk. But then when it comes to like this medical thing, he's like, no judgment at all. He's like, okay, I'm just going to do what I got to do. It's no judgment, but it was a big deal for him because it's illegal. Right. So what he did, he committed a crime to save her life. Yes. Where it's like, well, if it wasn't illegal... You could have just done it in the first place, and she would have been fine. Yeah, she would have been able to go to the so, hospital yeah, a, and get antibiotics and not have a rusty knife. Yeah, um, you wouldn't think that, you know, something so profound was coming from Dirty Dancing, but hey, there it is. It's going to happen, folks. It's it's just better if it gets to happen in medical situations. Of course. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about 2004 film Vera Drake. Um, That's a good movie, man. That's another one I didn't know what it was, and I was surprised. When it's I saw a it. it's a really shattering drama. It's a, it's a great film. <laughs> it's a bummer. So the title character is played with just this cheery bustle um, by a never better um, what her, Imelda Staunton. Is that that actress? Yeah, yeah. The, the, she's the Harry Potter chick, right? She's that. I mean, one she, teacher. You'll like her in this. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll like her in this one. You won't like her in the other one, but um, but she's a middle aged housewife in 1950 working class London who just tirelessly, she tends to her family, she's dashing between cleaning jobs and visiting sick friends and relatives with whatever spare time she has. Everyone loves her. She's a lovely woman. But what neither her family nor her friends know is that this just salt-of-the-earth woman provides backstreet abortions. 
an unpaid service that she describes as helping young girls out when they can't manage. So with non-judgmental compassion and not a whisper of melodrama, um, they this film kind of observes the vast difference in options for pregnant women on opposite sides of the class divide at a time when abortion was illegally illegal in Britain. Um, and it just quietly threads a sense of just, as Jacob said, like crushing dread as the film builds to Vera's inevitable exposure right. and arrest. I mean, you see where this is going. And, you know, this is not the only piece of media where they mention people like this. Um, even Penny Dreadful or Game of Thrones, they have characters in those stories that are like the women's doctors who are like, oh, you take this potion or you just drink these roots and it's going to take care of the whole thing for you. Yeah, Don't this, has been, this has been going on, I think, probably since the beginning of oh i'm sure it's all been, of it it's been happening wild. all time like people just like hey drink some nern root or something and mix it with some salt and you'll be fine like native populations and stuff like that so it's all very interesting there's lots that we can learn but sadly wah, wah, we're out of time jacob why don't you plug us up so if you feel like you have you have questions and you got some uh, information you need you need any kind of information history medical all that kind of stuff stop by your local library and we'll help you out we got 37 branches all throughout erie county Come on into any of them, and we can help you out with some research. Uh, don't forget to follow us. Uh, well, don't forget to go to our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what programs the library has going on coming up. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at All Booked Up Pod, uh, so you can see what information we're pushing out and what we might have some show topics coming up. And it's great. You can get any of these films now. Remember, you can put them on hold. No charge. No charge, And guys. we want you to bring them back on time, but if, whoopsie, you forget a day or two, there's no fines. No fines, Keep guys. it in mind, just, it's just beautiful. Br- just be cool. Bring it back. We're all good, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, let's get some facts out. So number one, which I did not know, the abortion rate is declining. Mm-hmm. Sure is. So even though abortions, they're very common in the U.S., the total number of abortions has been declining pretty much every single year. So between 2006 and 2015, the abortion rate dropped by about 26%. That is the lowest level recorded ever that the CDC reported. So health experts suspect that easier access to birth control, along with increased awareness about unwanted pregnancies, are behind this drop in the numbers. So that's very interesting. Oh, geez, imagine that. I know. Um, Number two is abortions are considered to be very safe procedures. Um, Serious problems or complications afterwards are quite rare. The safest time is the first trimester, um, lowest chance of infection or heavy bleeding or uh, things like that. Mishaps are so rare, in fact, that a study from 2015 found that less than 1% of abortions done in the first trimester lead to any complications. Get this, this is wild. It's actually riskier in America to give birth than to get an abortion. That's That's according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The risk of death from childbirth is approximately 14 times higher, which is messed up. That's a massive, massive gap right there. That is is something we need to be working on, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, anytime someone's 14 times more likely to kill you, you might not want to do it, period. (laughs) Well, we, we don't want to say that, but we just need to make things safer. Number three. Um, younger women with financial concern, that is the norm mm-hmm. of people that are having the procedure. About 60% of people who receive abortions are in their 20s, 25% are in their 30s, 12% are in their teens. 
Um, more than half of the women who do get abortions already have children. Um, there's also a higher rate of abortion in women who have two children, which is 33% compared to just one, which is 26%. Which makes sense. Yeah, the most commonly noted reason for the induced abortion is the woman's concern about being able to provide for the children mm -hmm. that they already have. Um, and in poorer areas, access to birth control is extremely limited, so consequently there's a higher rate of unwanted pregnancies and abortion is much more common among poor women. They don't have access are, yeah. and they don't have money for the care afterwards. So in 2014, for example, women below the federal poverty level accounted for nearly half of all abortions that year. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of obvious who needs them, who wants them. And We're trying who to try who's um, might get restricted about it. So. Yeah. We need to take care of our peeps. And the last one, banning abortion. I think we all know it won't stop them no. from happening. So research has shown that restricting women's access to abortion won't actually stop them from occurring because abortion rates are pretty much the same in countries where abortion is prohibited and where it's legal. So the abortion rate is 37 per 1,000 women in countries that ban abortions and 34 per 1,000 in countries that allow abortions. So regardless of whether it is legal or not, women will still get abortions, even if that means resorting to unsafe abortions that are far more likely to result in complications or even death. So that is pretty much the argument. That's what we're talking about. We hope that you learned a lot from this episode. Um, and of course, we are so happy that you listened. You bet. And we will catch you next time. Bye.